Good morning, Fellowship family. We gather this morning to celebrate King Jesus. And right now, we have the opportunity to affirm what we believe as his followers. So as we sing, I'll ask a question. And if you believe the answer is yes, will you confidently lift your voice with Kyle in response? Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen?
we are Fellowship Bible Church. We exist to glorify God as we passionately follow our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are a community of believers, led by the Spirit and under the authority of God's Word. We are better together. We grow together. As individuals, we strive to mature in our love for both God and people. As a church, we seek to grow in our health and our reach. We learn together. We study God's Word so that we can know Jesus intimately and follow Him obediently. We worship together. We meet each week shoulder to shoulder to worship the Lord, and then we scatter across Northwest Arkansas to live lives worthy of His name. We gather together. We come together face to face in small groups where we can create a space to know the Lord and be known by others. We serve together. Arm in arm, we use our gifts and our resources to make a difference locally and globally. We are on a mission to love people well. We believe all people matter to God, are created in His image, and are worthy of service. We are Fellowship Bible Church. Together, we release spiritual leaders who express the authentic Christ, where we live, work, and play. And our hope and prayer is that we would change the heart and soul of Northwest Arkansas and the world. Well, good morning, fellowship. We are so glad that you are here with us, whether you're in the room or watching on the live stream. We're excited. Good morning, Nick. Morning, Sam. Glad you're here today, too. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, we got a lot going on. Hey, if this is your first time to ever come to Fellowship Bible Church or watch us online, we would love to meet you and get to know you. You can do that in two ways. One is just scan the QR code on the screen, zoom in with your, your camera, a drop-down menu will come, fill out some information, and we'll contact you this week, or come out in the foyer and meet us. We would love to hear more about who you are and how we can serve you. Hey, it is September 5th. That means that next week we're launching a whole bunch of opportunities for you to plug in and participate in our church. So if you would like to be a part of one of our small groups, or if you would like to be a part of one of our classes or our marriage ministry, or if you'd like to join our membership class called Discover, or if you would like to be a part of our senior ministry, we call that Fellowship Legacy Ministry. They're launching a study um, this month. If you would like to be a part of any of those things, then we would love to connect you. Just come out to the booth, fill out a form. We'll follow up with you, but most things launch next week, so you need to get signed up. So if you've been teetering on the edge Maybe a little bit of nervousness yeah. or maybe mm. fearing that there'll be weird people in your small group. There will be. Just trust me, there will be. There will be. We've all got those things about us. And so just come and enjoy the show. Um, sign up this week. We would love to have you be a part. Hey, in the foyer, our first Timothy study guides are available for you to, to pick up. And this is why it's important. We start our first Timothy series Next week, and just a reminder, 
you need to bring these. So if you've already picked up your journal, bring them with you next week because your passage is in there. There's also a space for you to take notes in there. So next week, everybody's got a journal and we're all rolling, studying First Timothy. Hey, we have opened up our disaster relief fund. We've got three things going on in the world we're directing funds to. One is the hurricane relief down in New Orleans and the panhandle of Florida. Another is refugees coming here from Afghanistan and then also the earthquake in Haiti. A lot of you have asked, what are we doing? How can we help? Contribute to the disaster relief fund. 100% of that money is going to a trusted ministry partner. Our global outreach team will identify those and fund those projects. And so you can contribute there. Hey, if you're from Bentonville, you've probably heard we're planting a new campus in Bentonville in 2022, but we're gathering as the Bentonville congregation monthly this fall. So next week, Bentonville will be uh, in the family center and you can have uh, a worship time there together. And so join us there. And then we've got training center classes. Nick Rowland's here teaching us today. Nick's representing training center. You wanna tell us what launches next week? Yeah, next week, training center classes are, are getting going. And man, the training center exists to equip the people of fellowship in Bible theology and ministry for life. And so we got a couple things coming up we're really excited about. Panorama of the Bible with Robert Cup, survey of Genesis to Revelation. Um, a great way just to get introduced to the story of the Bible. Uh, align your heart to the finances, of, or your finances to the heart of God, which is a study with Don Reed on just what does it mean to have my heart aligned with God with how I use my stuff and generosity. And then we also have We Believe, which is a survey of basic Christian beliefs with Terry Weedle on what is the, what is the Trinity and who is God and what is salvation, a great way to be grounded in our core beliefs. And then finally, in light of our First Timothy study, we have a personal Bible study methods class on First Timothy that's happening at 11 o'clock in the training center, taught by Roy Barsky, who has a doctorate from Dallas Seminary, super sharp guy, blessing to have him here at Fellowship. So it's going to be a great way to get a deep dive in First Timothy before this, uh, this year starts. And so all of that starts next week. You can sign up right now. And all of our content that we have in our core classes of the training center is all available online and video. So you can also find that and jump in on that as well. So it's a great time this fall to get trained. Yeah, great opportunity to go deeper through the training center. Hey, you've got a major life transition I do. happening. And so Nick and Cassie have been serving here at Fellowship Rogers on Sunday morning for, what, about five years? Five years, yeah. And he has taken the position as the congregational leader of Fellowship Mosaic. And so he will be moving over to our Saturday night congregation and becoming their teaching pastor and that kind of thing. I just wanted to take an opportunity to say, thank you for blessing us with your ministry. Come up here, Cassie. Come up here. Yeah. You've really blessed us with your teaching and with your singing, Cassie, and we just wanted to say thank you. And I wanna invite you, if, if you would like to be a part of what's happening at Fellowship Mosaic, if you appreciate Nick and Cassie and wanna join them there, they've got some teammates out in the foyer that would love to meet you and tell you how to, to get involved. But can we pray for you guys? Can we pray? Would you join us? And, and whether you're online stream or in the room, just pray over the Rollins with me. Oh, Lord. Uh, we thank you for the blessing that we've all experienced through the ministry of Nick and Cassie Rowland, um, whether through teaching or friendship or how they've counseled or ministered to us or through Kath Cassie's musical ability. So we just pray over Nick and Cassie and their daughter, Karis, as they transition over to Fellowship Mosaic. Lord, I pray that you would bless Nick with wisdom and discernment as he leads there. 
And we pray over Fellowship Mosaic as one of our congregations in, in our, our church, that you would bless them. Lord, that you would grow them and mature them and use them in special ways. So, Lord, thanks for our friendship with Nick. Lord, we know this isn't goodbye, but it's a big transition for them. So we ask that you would bless them. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, fellowship. This is Lenny Young, and Lenny came to Christ at a young age, and for many years he has known Jesus as his Savior. And, but about five years ago, Lenny and his family went through a very tough transition. And fortunately, this encouraged him to grow even closer to Christ. And soon thereafter, he met his wife, Heather, and Heather introduced him to fellowship, where he learned about grace for the first time. And so grace and the love that the Lord Jesus has for him really rocked his world. And he really grew even closer to Christ and the Young family actually means a lot to us, too, as, as our family. We're uh, joining them in community this fall, and they are an answer prayer for, for our son Cooper, too, because we prayed for his little class here at Fellowship, that God would bring more kids into his class. So Brian is joining Cooper in his class as well. So we love you guys and look forward to growing with you all in community this next year. So Lenny, is it your testimony that you have trusted Christ and want to follow him all the days of your life? Based on your testimony, Lenny, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Congratulations. Amen. What a blessing this morning. We get to celebrate new life found in Jesus Christ. So church, would you stand? Let's sing, let's worship King Jesus this morning. As we sing about how awesome, how big he is. Let's lift our voice.
talk about the great commission that Jesus has given us to go and make disciples. And in light of that this morning, I would love to just read the Lord's Prayer together. It talks about the kingdom of God, and this is a gift that we get to be brought into to advance this kingdom. What a gift. So would you read these words with me this morning? This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. You may have a seat, church.
And that's what we're here to do this morning is praise your name forever. Spirit, we ask that you would speak to our souls this morning. Lord, would you use your holy word to soften our hearts? Lord, I know sometimes I even find my own heart calloused as I walk into church. So Lord, would you remove that callous from my own heart and those who might find themselves in that situation? Would you use Nick's teaching to change lives through your holy word, Father, through your son, Jesus. Give us the boldness and grace to ask questions. Give us peace to understand. Jesus, we love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You may have a seat. Uh, I ended up at Fellowship because of my roommate from college. His grandparents went to the Rogers location. He invited me along, and uh, ever since then, it's I've just kept going back. It was good. I, did, I enjoyed it a lot. So before I moved down here, I was actually in medical school. Ended up leaving that, and when I moved down here is when I started going to Fellowship with Max. Just was time for us to find a church family to go to together. It, it became more about, we love the church, we love being a part of the church, but we're just coming in on Sunday and like sitting down and then leaving. Um, and we weren't invested. And so that's when we reached out and asked if we could get a part of a small group. Um, and that was a lot of her prompting. We knew that we needed something like that. It was just making that jump in. I think for us, that was kind of the biggest reason we wanted to jump into a community group is because we knew the potential there. Um, we just had to get over the initial fears of like, well, what if it doesn't work out? So Cody and Kelsey are the two people that started this community group. Uh, Cody moved down here uh, two, two years ago at this point now um, to work here in Northwest Arkansas. They were coming from Colorado and the two of them realized like they needed friends here as a couple. Uh, and that That's kind of what stemmed the beginning of this group. It just ended up being a great group that they decided to jump right in and we just jumped along with them. Them as a couple was probably the best thing we could have done for our community group uh, experience because they, being new to the area, were so eager to know people individually. They dug in so deep with us individually as couples that it allowed all of us to be like, hey, like, 
this is a good environment. Like this is an environment where people actually want to know me. When we did our stories, I think that really it opened, it, opened up. it up. That for us is what we wanted out of a community group. Um, not something superficial, we wanted to dive in deep. If, if anything's going on in our life, good, bad, just generic. If I drop a text into the group text that says, hey, I need prayer, everyone drops whatever they're doing and they pray. And it was the one consistent thing throughout the whole year for us. They led it, they started it, they brought people in. They hosted. They, they hosted every week. We started our group in September and then in December, Cody got offered a job back in Colorado and they just were praying about it and they told us about it. Cody decided to take the job. They moved back and so at that point it was just like, what do we do? Do we start over? Do we go back to the church? Do we ask for new leaders? Like, what does this look like as far as our group goes? Cody basically sat down with the guys and was like, listen, I want this group to continue. What this group is is good and what this group is doing is good. He told me and one of the other guys, like, hey, I, I told, uh, you know, the church, like, these are the two guys that I would take on that baton. And I was one of those guys. That was a big challenge for me. They transitioned out of life here in a three-month process. And I think that allowed us as a group to also transition into not having them here. We got to see like, okay, we can continue this. As a group, we decided like, hey, let's just all be in this together. We meet weekly and it's been a blast. And I think for us, those are the most consistent people that we hang out with um, on a consistent basis, which is what's cool for us. It's the community that we wanted. We're all co-leaders, yeah. I would say. We all co-lead it together. We all, like you said, we all bounce off of each other do round robin discussion basically and I think it's just it works for all of us. I would say too it's not just hanging out at community group we're hanging out outside of community group too like as friends. Our community group all the guys like to play disc golf so we go out and play disc golf once twice a week and we enjoy doing that um, and now the lives go along and we all just hang out and have fun and we all bring our dogs and just and have a good time. I think if we wouldn't have taken the step to join a community group, we'd just still be going through the motions and just go to church every Sunday and then just repeat, just do the same thing every every week. And we wouldn't truly invest in growing in our um, faith. Being surrounded by fellow Christians has been just a huge benefit. Sorry, it kind of makes me like emotional. <laughs> because we didn't have that before. It helps that we're all very open with our, like how we are in our relationships. Um, and we all learn from each other, which is huge. It's been a big, big growing for, I, th I think for all of us, honestly. Without community group, I think um, phoning it in, I'd be back, back there in the community, um, sitting, you know, probably five rows from the back. That way I can get in and get out. Um, and, and that's something that, I'm thankful that I'm trying to get away from. This group is is something that grounds me into like, no, no, like you need to make time for this. We hold each other accountable, yeah. not in a bad way, but just as yeah. a, we want to still all grow together and just meet every week. So and you it's don't, been really cool. We all realized last year what community means to you. Had we joined a group before last year, we wouldn't have appreciated what it meant. That's what we realize a group can do, um, is be way more than just, let's come, let's talk, let's leave. That is the benefit to community groups, is, is the... The growing together. The growing together, the relationships together, the just life as a community. We hope that what the core group has as a um, connection with each other, we can start to invite more people into that because we see the value in it.
he was after the answer to one very particular question. How do organizations that have had a long track record of being fine, good, mediocre, make a transition to something really special, to something great, to, some, to a group that accomplishes fantastic results? So he and his team did the research. They followed companies that went through that transition, and they were looking, what are the, the common denominators in that kind of transition? And they found a, lot of, a, lot, a collection of attributes, and one really captured my attention. Um, to talk about it, we got to talk a little bit about animal behavior. Hopefully, y'all are okay going back to like a third grade animal lesson here. Because he draws a comparison between a fox and a hedgehog. Now, when you think about the behavior of a fox, if you were to think of one attribute we associate with foxes, what would it be? They are they're sly, sneaky, clever, something like that, right? Like the fox is always trying to out-trick and outsmart his opponent with some really complicated scheme. And, and that's the picture of the fox. And, and the fox's mortal enemy, the, the one that the fox is hunting, is the hedgehog. The hedgehog is the prey that the fox is after. Now, the hedgehog looks very different from the fox. The hedgehog lives a much more simple life. He eats and he sleeps and he wanders around. It's very similar to my lifestyle. And he doesn't have a complicated approach to things. And so when these two lock into combat, when the the fox comes in for the kill and he strikes, the hedgehog only has one strategy. What is it? Curl up into a ball and put up its protection, right? That's the only play in the hedgehog's book. He has no other strategies. It's incredibly simple. Go about your life, and when the fox attacks, tuck in. And guess what? The hedgehog wins every time. When the hedgehog sticks to its one simple idea, it beats the fox every time. No matter how clever, no matter how many layers of deception and trickery are in the fox's playbook, the hedgehog wins. This is what Jim Collins said. He said, organizations that make this transition, they discover the one simple thing that they can crush it at that they've got the right people, the right gifts, and the right passion to be phenomenal at this one thing, and then they're incredibly disciplined to stick to that one thing, their hedgehog concept. Now, Collins is talking about businesses in particular, but it got me wondering, is there a hedgehog concept for the church? I mean, there's so many good things the church can and should be part of, but is there one main thing? Do we have one strategy that is our hedgehog concept. C.S. Lewis, he tried to sum it up this way. He said, let's go ahead and bring that Lewis quote up there, every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. He said, this is it. This is the sum totality of our faith, is for people to become like Jesus. Now, when he said for people to become a little Christ, he didn't mean for people to become little messiahs or little kings. Um, He meant for people to be transformed to be more like Christ. I have a dear friend, Alex Bell, and, and he has a son named Gray. And when you talk to Gray, you are talking to a little Alex. It is fantastic. They look the same, they dress the same, they talk the same, they have the same mannerisms. Gray is a little Alex all the way. And this is the picture of our faith. Lewis suggests that 
if you were to sum Christianity up into one simple concept, our faith is all about people being made more like Christ. And that is the conduit to which we do everything else. When people are made like Christ and then they go into the marketplace, guess what? Retail gets transformed. When people are made like Christ and then they are sent into the school system, guess what? Education gets transformed. When you send people like Christ into neighborhoods, neighborhoods change. When you send people like Christ into government, government changes. When you send people who are like Christ, dare I say, into social media, guess what? Social media changes. That's the strategy. That is the church's simple hedgehog concept. And we have a word that we get from our New Testament to describe a person who is becoming like Christ. You know what that word is? It's a disciple. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus and seeking to become more like Jesus. So when we talk about what we as fellowship do, as we grow together, the final one we talk about is that we make disciples together. We want to see people transformed to be more like Christ, holistically, every part of who they are. To think like Jesus, to desire what Jesus desires, to love what Jesus loves, to say what Jesus would say, and to do what Jesus would do. That's what we're after together. And this, this hedgehog concept, this comes from Jesus himself in a passage we call the Great Commission. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Now, Matthew chapter 28, um, this is Jesus speaking to his followers after he has died and risen again and just before he ascends to heaven. And this is his final, we call it the Great Commission because it is his final challenge, his final purpose statement that he gives to his followers before he goes to heaven. So let's take a look at it together. In verse 18, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now let's just pause for a minute and think about that statement. Jesus is saying over all the earth, over all of heaven, the entire universe, all that is, I have authority over all of that. I have, Jesus says, I have absolute authority over everything that exists. What do you think the implications are when he states that and then the next words out of his mouth are a command. I think there might be a little oomph to what Jesus is about to say. I have all the authority in the universe, therefore let me tell you what to do. That's his conclusion. All authority has been given to me, verse 19, therefore. This is the result of Jesus having all authority in the universe. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So what we're going to do this morning is we're just going to walk through the pieces of this command, this commission, to try to get a picture of what this challenge to make disciples looks like. Um, now, in his commission, in his sending, there are, there are four verbs in the little commission. I'm going to try not to go on too long of a nerd grammar rant, so... Bear with me, we'll make it brief. There are four verbs in here. Two of them are so tied together that they act more like one. And that's the first two, go make disciples. Um, you really can't separate those out into two ideas. Um, it's kind of like saying, get up and go. It's really seen as one action. The go is ascending. 
He's saying, I am sending you out with a purpose. Make disciples. And that is the central command of this passage. What Jesus is saying is, you have been my followers. Now I want you to go out and make more followers. I want you to go from this place and make more followers out of every nation on earth. This is the center of the commission. This is the heart of the command. Now, the two verbs that follow are kind of helping verbs. They, they come alongside. It's like if I said, I wrote a song while walking around the block. The main idea of that sentence is that I wrote a song. What does walking around the block do? Well, it helps fill out the picture of the writing process, right? That's what happens here in the commission. He says, go make disciples. That's the big idea. Go make Jesus followers. And let me tell you what that process looks like. And that's the next two verbs. The next one, the the first of these two helping verbs, is baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We got the joy of witnessing a baptism just a minute ago. What what does that picture of baptism represent? Jesus is not just saying, let me tell you how to make a disciple, go out and start a bath ministry and just make sure everybody gets in some water and that's how we're gonna change the world. Now, baptism is a single word, idea, and picture that stands for something much bigger. You see, baptism was a shorthand for saying, coming to trust and faith and loyalty to Jesus. It's a little bit like if we said the phrase, hey, she's going to walk down the aisle next weekend. No one thinks that when I say she's going to walk down the aisle, I'm referring to going down an aisle at the grocery store. Nobody confuses that phrase. We all know what when somebody walks down the aisle that means, right? That's a picture for getting married. Or another similar example, as Beyonce said, if you liked it, then you should have put a ring on it, right? Thank you. Eight o'clock did not go with me there. (laughs) So what is the ring a picture of? Again, everyone knows what they're referring to. Who knows Beyonce? That you're putting a ring on it means... You're getting married. You're getting engaged. It's a picture of the beginning of the new relationship. So when Jesus says you're going to make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, he's describing the process of bringing people who do not follow Jesus, do not trust Jesus, into saving faith with him. That's the first part of the discipleship process is telling people who don't know Jesus the good news of Jesus and bringing them to faith in him. We have a term for that we tend to use called evangelism. Now that's one side of the coin, but the other side of the coin is the second verb, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, this is the idea of once people are followers of Jesus, instructing them and what it looks like. Notice the breadth of this. Everything I've commanded you. All of it. Every aspect of Jesus' teaching and instruction applied to every aspect of our lives. This is holistic, total obedience, submission, and trust in Jesus. Now, these two ideas, baptizing, bringing to faith in Christ, teaching to obey, they're said in such a way that they fall under the one idea of making disciples, and they can't be pulled apart from each other. Uh, There's no sense in which Jesus is imagining people coming into relationship with him and not beginning to learn to follow him. That would be nonsense in this commission. I love the way Mark Schatzman says this. He says, faith in Jesus is not life insurance. 
Why is that? Well, life insurance is an arrangement you enter into, and when do the benefits become available to you? When you die, right? Not actually to you, but to a loved one. The benefits of life insurance kick in at death. And he says, if you think of your Christian faith that way, that is a massively incomplete picture to think that trusting Jesus is entering into an arrangement that has no effect until after death. He says, faith in Jesus is not life insurance. Faith in Jesus is a birth certificate. It's the beginning of a life that starts now. And so this is the holistic picture of discipleship that Jesus gives us. Beginning to end, bringing people to faith in Jesus and teaching them to follow him. Teaching them to obey all of his commands so that they become transformed to be more like Christ. Now here's what's really cool about how Jesus set this up. It sets up a virtuous cycle, this little infinity loop that happens. Because when you teach people to obey all of Jesus' commands, you know what command is included in that? the command to make disciples. So they are commanded to go lead people to faith in Christ and teach them to obey the command to go lead other people to Christ and teach them. And this creates a reproductive cycle that has spread across the globe over the past 2,000 years of disciple-making, of leading people to trust and follow Jesus. This is the church's hedgehog concept. This is the only play in our playbook. Like this is the one we go to over and over and over again. It's actually, this passage is the inspiration, or one of the inspirations for our mission statement here at Fellowship. What do we exist to do? To produce and release spiritual leaders who know and express the authentic Christ in Northwest Arkansas and the world. That is taking the, the language of the Great Commission and putting it into late 20th century American leadership development lingo. So let me break it down for you and show you the connections. What does it mean to produce someone? When we say that we're producing a spiritual leader, that is nothing other than seeing someone, helping someone become more like Christ. That is the discipleship process. What do we mean by a spiritual leader? Well, according to the New Testament, to be spiritual is to be a follower of Christ. That's the definition of spirituality. If you've ever heard the phrase, I'm spiritual, but I don't follow a particular religion, the New Testament would reject that concept out of hand. There is no spirituality apart from Christ. So a spiritual leader, a spiritual person, is someone who's rightly related to Jesus. And we define leadership not as a position, but as an activity of having service and influence in another person's life. So when we say we want to produce spiritual leaders, that means we want to see people made disciples who have a heart and a vision to go serve others. We want to produce that, and then we want to release that. We want to set that kind of person loose on the world. The people who would become a part of this faith family will be made more like Christ, will have a vision for serving and making disciples, and then we're going to set them loose. Which means our vision for this church is to flip a model on its head that would say, no, the, the members of the church do not exist to support the ministry of a super talented pastor. That limits the impact of the church to one person at the top. We say, no, 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 the leadership, the staff, the pastors of this church exist to support the ministry of the people invested in and set loose in Northwest Arkansas and the world. That's what we exist to do. 
So we see every person in this room as a minister of the gospel of Jesus. We come here together to celebrate who God is, to be shaped and formed, and then unleashed on the world. And one of our primary vehicles for discipleship is the small group. We gather in this large group, and then we gather in small groups as a place where people can begin to make disciples in a powerful way. And here's the thing. It works. I'm actually a product of this vision. You see, several years ago, I was working in student ministry, and we wanted to try to clarify a little bit what is the target for discipleship. So we made a list of qualities that we wanted to see in a graduating senior. Things we wanted them to know, skills we wanted them to have, character traits we wanted to develop, and passions we wanted to cultivate. And we wrestled over this for a semester, and then we finally codified it into a document, and we shared it with all of our leaders and said, this is the target. We were really proud of the work we had done, and I sat back and looked at that document, and I asked the question, where did this come from in my life? What were the influences that led me to be a disciple of Jesus? So let me tell you a little bit about my discipleship story. For me, it started in the home. It started with David and Kathy Rowland having a heart to know God and for their family to know God. It started with Bible studies with my mom around the table. It started with singing worship songs together in the car. It started with our family making being a part of a church a core commitment to what we are as a family. And that shaped the beginnings of discipleship in me, having a mom and a dad who care deeply about us knowing the Lord. And then we came to fellowship in 1999, and um, we started plugging into this place, and I got involved in a student ministry with a reckless youth pastor named Sam Hannon. <laughs> and it was interesting, as I went through these qualities of a disciple, I could directly trace influence in my life to sermons Sam taught in junior high service in the early 2000s. If you think he's a good preacher now, you should have heard him when Mickey wasn't in the room and services weren't recorded. It was a lot of fun. In all seriousness, Sam had a huge impact in my life through his teaching. I remember Sam opening up the book of Ephesians and telling all the students to get a journal or a piece of paper, and from the front of the room, he taught us inductive Bible study. He said, let's take a paragraph. I'm going to teach you how to make observations on what's in the passage. And then I'm going to teach you how to interpret what's there. And then I'm going to teach you how to apply it to your life. And I'm sitting there as a 14-year-old kid learning to study my Bible in youth group under Sam Hannon. Had a massive impact in my development. And then there was another layer that came in because I played guitar as a kid. And I thought the idea of being a part of the worship band sounded really awesome. And so I was talking to Sam about that. And he said, oh, man, we should totally get you involved. That'd be really cool. Hey, what cell group are you in? Now, I was kind of an arrogant, independent young guy who didn't think I needed any peers or anyone else, so I wasn't in cell group. I had no interest in coming to cell group, and Sam went, oh, that's too bad, because we, we can't have you serving and leading if you're not a part of a peer group that's helping you grow. And so I hung my head and wrestled with it and finally committed. The reality was I was just terrified. I was terrified of being around my peers. And I finally decided that I was gonna go visit this cell group of eighth grade boys, and I showed up on my first night, and I, I got introduced to some people and some mentors that would be a part of shaping me forever. That first night I was there, there was another kid, it was his first night also, his name's Cameron Hager, and, and we both connected that first night as the new guys, and, uh, and began a friendship, a lifelong friendship that continues to this day, 
and helping each other walk with Jesus. And over the course of that cell group experience, three men had an incredible impact in my life. Our cell leaders were guys named Brandon Hall, John Nelson, and John Flowers. Brandon and John Nelson are here. Guys, come on up and join us. John Flowers is in Memphis hanging out with a new grandbaby. Now, when Sam mentioned, when I told Sam I was thinking about doing this, Sam said these guys were probably in their 20s when they started leading. I said, there's no way. Like, you gotta come a little closer. Come, come join me in the light. You can't hide in the shadows. I said, there's no way, because thir- to 13-year-old Nick, these guys were sages. Like, they were Gandalf. They were old and wise. And so I had to go check, and they were, in fact, 24 and 26 when they started leading us. And I remember um, the, the first night that I came, in all of that intimidation, I remember Brandon breaking away from the rest of the group and hanging out with me for probably like 20 minutes, just getting to know me, asking questions, showing interest in my life. And on that first night, I felt welcomed and safe and decided it was worth coming back. And the thing is, I have a dad who is wonderful and a great example for me and loves me well, but every teenage boy could use a couple of extra godly men in their life, yes? And so I had these men who were faithfully in my life every week to show me what it looked like to be a godly man, to talk about masculinity, to talk about marriage, and sometimes some awkward and inappropriate ways. (laughs) But I can remember as we gathered with them, I remember sitting on the driveway of the Pinaltos port, of the driveways of the Pinaltos house, and I remember when, as a ninth grader, Brandon said, guys, I think it's time we had to talk about lust. I want to hear how you guys are dealing with that and if that's an issue in your life. No one had had the courage to ask me that question until that point. And that night, he walked us through a vision for holiness as young men, for respecting women and for honoring Christ with our eyes and our thoughts. And he talked us through what does it look like to build accountability and safety in your life. He cast a vision for that in my life. I remember John Nelson asking the question one time, or making the statement one time, hey guys, I want you to know, we wanna help you guys make great choices and honor the Lord with your life, but I want you to know if you're ever in a bad spot, ever in a dangerous position, I don't care if it's three in the morning, you call and I will be there to get you out of it. That's a big deal for a young guy to hear. I remember gathering, my parents started hosting, and I remember gathering and bless my mom's heart, like in theory, cell group went from 6.30 to 8.30. The reality was, guys started coming over as soon as they got out of school and didn't leave till 9.30. And my mom would just cook up a big thing of spaghetti, and I remember the desire these guys had to see us be shaped in the Lord, such that they said, they gave us challenges for personal devotion during the week. And they said, hey, when you show up at the Roland's house, if you haven't spent your time with the Lord before you do anything else, because what really we had in our mind for a good time was playing Frisbee with cow patties. That's what Springdale boys do. But they said, hey, before you do that, you're gonna stop and spend time with the Lord. And they shaped me. Brandon shaped me in what it looks like to study God's word and how to have a personal devotion life. I remember particularly studying Philippians together and that time of learning to study God's word in Philippians as they invested in me. I remember before our senior year, that summer, we were talking about getting ready to go to college, and John Nelson made the observation, he said, guys, you need to know theology. You need to know the heart of your faith before you go off to college. And so get this, 17-year-olds, he had us all buy an undergraduate doctorate level doctrine book. 
But here's the thing. In summer, when FSM wasn't meeting, John Nelson and John Flowers led us through this book. And, and we learned the doctrine of the Trinity. We learned about our God's eternal attributes. We learned what it meant for Jesus to be fully God and fully man. We learned what the cross did for us, that salvation was by grace through faith, what it meant to be justified, sanctified, and glorified. I have had the opportunity to learn under some pretty amazing teachers, and yet to this day, when I think about these core doctrines, what first comes to my mind is what I learned under this guy right here that summer. I've, this is the book. I've got my notes in it from this book, from him shaping us as theologians. These guys lived out the vision of making disciples with a bunch of dorks from Springdale. And can I tell you about the impact of what they did? Because of their investment, there are young men walking with Jesus and making disciples literally in Northwest Arkansas in the world. Cameron Hager is pastoring a church in Portland, Oregon, a city that is very lost and needs Jesus. David Heron is a, a missionary in Western Europe having an impact for Christ there. Nick Teeters lives right here in Rogers, and I got to hang out with him recently, and he said at the beginning of COVID, he recognized the disconnection that was happening in his neighborhood, so he started gathering men in his neighborhood, saying, hey, let's gather together, pray for each other, study the word, because we need to keep growing in Christ, even while all this disconnection's happening. John Michael Foner and his wife Kelsey living in, in the marketplace in Northwest Arkansas, having an impact in their fields, but also making disciples right here at Fellowship. Like the disciple-making vision has happened through the ministry of these two guys. It works. And here's the thing. On the one hand, these guys are pretty special and pretty remarkable. And on the other hand, this is not an unheard of story at Fellowship. Like this is what happens when you commit to the vision of making disciples and investing in other people. It's happening in, not just in FSM, it's happening in elementary ministry. It's happening in the one-to-one -one ministry. It's happening in re-engage and merge and in community groups. It's happening across fellowship as people commit to investing in other people. And you might think, I don't think I'm qualified to do this. I don't have what it takes. I don't have the level of knowledge and skill. How qualified did y'all feel? <laughs> Here's the deal. To make a disciple... You just have to be one quiet time ahead of the person you're meeting with. <laughs> uh, I know one guy in Northwest Arkansas who's a leader who he has the practice of every time he goes to church, anytime he hears a teaching, he has a journal, he takes notes, and in the margin, he writes the notes of someone he's gonna share it with that week. That's all it takes. Anytime you receive something, pass it on. That's the vision is when you've been entrusted with something, you pass it on. And that's what these guys have lived out. And one more note, if you feel disqualified, if you feel like I don't have what it takes, can I encourage you, on the one hand, of course you don't. None of us do. If I were writing this script, I would have told Jesus, bad idea, don't hand this off to people, you will do it better yourself, of course you would but he is committed to the idea of working through his people and look at the end of the commission. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This is always how God works. Think back to Moses when he sent him into Egypt to lead the people out. Moses said, I'm not qualified to do this. What was God's answer? 
I'll be with you. When Joshua was supposed to lead the people of Israel in to take the land, what was God's commission to him? Be strong and courageous because I'm with you. When we choose to be obedient to the task God has given us, Jesus is with us and empowers it all the way. At fellowship, we make disciples together. That's the play we've got to run. The question is, are you in? And I want to say to these guys, thank you. Thank you for the investment that you made in my lives and so many others. Lord, the mission is as big as the world. And yet you've entrusted it to individuals living their lives with a vision to make disciples, to lead people to be more like you. Thank you for men like Brandon and John who've done that in my life and so many others. God, I pray for the people in this room that you will continue to form us to be more like Jesus and give us a vision for how we can help others be more like you in our lives. May we be a church of disciple-making disciples to see the heart and soul of Northwest Arkansas and the world changed for your glory. We love you. We praise things in Jesus' name. This is not something we can do alone. We need the help of Jesus along the way. He's gracious enough to meet us there to help us. But when we just confess in this moment that we need him, it's nothing we can do on our own. So would you sing this with me? Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find.
hearts to leave, I'd love to read this blessing over you. From 2 Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 2, it says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Church, thanks for worshiping with us this week. If you need prayer, we have prayer over in the prayer room. We'll see you next week. Go in peace.